house, and next to him was that other guy. Then came another guy with that name, and Hashab, son of this other guy, who repaired another section of the wall and the tower of ovens. Shalom, son of Halohesh, and his daughters repaired the next section. Let me read that sentence again. Shalom, son of Halohesh, and his daughters repaired the next section. He was the leader of the other half of the district of Jerusalem. He was a leader, like a mayor. Okay? The valley gate was repaired by the people from Zenoa, led by Hanun. They set up its doors and installed its bolts and bars. They also repaired the 1,500 feet of wall to the dung gate. Remember, the, the dung gate didn't smell nice. 1,500 feet of wall leading up to the dung gate that they fixed. Okay? Uh, the dung gate was repaired by that guy, the leader of the, that other district. He rebuilt it, set up its doors, and installed its bolts and bars. The fountain gate was repaired by Shalom, son of Kol Jose, the, Jose, the leader of the Mizpah district. He rebuilt it, roofed it, set up its doors, and installed its bolts and bars. Then he repaired the wall of the pool of Siloam near the king's garden, and he rebuilt the wall as far as the stairs that descend from the city of David. Next to him was Nehemiah, son of Azbuk, the leader of half the district of Bethzur. He rebuilt the wall from a place across from the tombs of David's family as far as the water reservoir in the house of the warriors. Next to him, repairs were made by a group of Levites working under the supervision of that guy. Then came Hashabiah, the leader of half the district of Kukhaliah, who supervised the building of the wall on the behalf of his own district. Next down the line were his countrymen, led by this guy, son of this fella, the leader of the other half of the district of Kukhaliah. Next to him... Ezer, son of Joshua, the leader of Mizpah, repaired another section of wall across from the ascent to the armory near the angle in the wall. Next to him was Baruch, son of Zabiah, who zealously repaired an additional section from the angle of the, to the door to the house of the house of this other guy, the high priest. I, I love the fact also that it says here that he zealously repaired his part. It doesn't say that about all the rest of them. They were repairing and they were working, but this guy zealously repaired. I, I, um, I, I remember hearing this as a kid and thinking to myself that I want, I want that to be known for me. I was, this, is, um, <clears throat> this is something that, that my children also had this uh, plight that they had to work through. I was always way smaller than everybody else when I was a kid. It's very short. When I, uh, when I finished my junior year in high school, I was five foot two. Uh, when I started my junior year, I was like, I mean, my senior year, I was like five, nine and a half or something. That was a painful summer, but the, I was always shorter. So, but I played baseball from elementary all the way up into high school. I played football, junior high, high school, played baseball into college. And, but I was taller then. But um, I, I, every time we'd go out for the team, the coaches would all be looking around. You know how specifically like junior high coaches are, are great about this. They, they look around the crowd of the boys and they say, okay, you're going to be a lineman. You're going to be a lineman. You're gonna... Who are those guys? The big guys. You're a lineman. You're a lineman. You're a lineman. Then they look at the mid-range guys and you're like, you're a defensive back. You're a 
linebacker. You're a, and then you look at littler guys, um, and and <laughs> and you got like running backs and those kind of things. And then there was always me standing there, and they're like, "You, do you know where the water fountain is?" <laughs> now, I by the and my my Isaac always dealt with this too. He played football. Uh, by the end of the year, I was always a starting running back, and I was usually a linebacker or a cornerback starting in all those positions. But at the beginning of the year, they would look over me every single time. So I had to work twice as hard as the guy that automatically said, okay, you're whatever this, but you're the running back. I had to work twice, three times as hard as that guy because he, he was given the position because the coach just put him there. So for me, this, he worked zealously to rebuild his part of the wall. I had to live my whole life like that. I never, I never had like the breaks that the other guys did, the, the whatever. And same with Isaac, my, my middle son. Every time we'd start the year, new coach, it was always a new coach, and he'd do the same thing. And then Isaac would be like, well, just go stand over there and we'll put you in somewhere. And, but I would tell him every year, Isaac, but you know what it takes. You work your rear off. I mean, you work harder than everybody. When everybody's doing wind sprints, you pass the line first every time. When they're doing all the circus stuff, you outrun everybody. You work harder. When they're hitting, you, you knock somebody out. In fact, I would scream all the time uh, from the sidelines. I would go to all of his practices, all of his games, and I would scream from the side, just hit somebody. Just. <laughs> the coach will see that. He will know that, and he will recognize, hey, that guy just hit him hard. And I tell him, just hit somebody. Every time. And by the end of the season, he's always starting. Always starting in whatever position he wanted to start in. But he had to work zealously. I, I, I love this, and specifically for what they're doing. Working zealously. When we take it into, this, into the spiritual context, that we work zealously to rebuild the wall. We work zealously to rebuild whatever's going on in our life. We work zealously. Don't just... Wait for things to come. You, you know, I, I pick on this a lot, but this is a mindset in American Christianity. We are very reactive. We are not proactive and intentional. We're reactive. We wait till something happens, and then we pray about it. Or we wait till something happens, and then we try all this, we try this, we try this, and then eventually we pray about it. Instead of being proactive, and so this is, this is why we'll do things, and I'll talk about this usually at the first of the year, about, okay, what are your goals this year? What are your, what are your intentional spiritual goals? What do you want to see happen in your life spiritually? What do you want to see God do? What are some things? Break down your life in your, in your workplace, in your marriage, in your family. What are the, some things that you want to see in all of these different arenas in your life this year? Are you just waiting are you just waiting for whatever is going to happen this year, and then I'll react to it? That's the way most people think in all areas of their life, and definitely uh, Christians think in their Christian walk is, you know, whatever happens, well, I'll trust God. Can't we be more strategic than that? Can't we be more intentional than that? Can't we? We do this in some areas of our life. Um. Have you ever uh, tried to learn a new language? Okay? That's being intentional. It's being proactive. You're not walk, waiting until somebody walks up to you and says something in a language and you go, um, hold on. 
Let me get my dictionary out. You're being intentional. I'm going to learn this. Uh, learn a, pr a computer program. You know, you need to learn something to work. I'm going to learn this. I'm going to, I'm going to work on this before I need it. I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to learn this stuff. I'm going to, I'm going to step out there. Um, I, I, um, I had a uh, couple, this was years ago, a couple that came to me, and, and uh, she wanted to go to a, a um, marriage retreat. And they were standing there outside my office, and she was asking about this marriage retreat or whatever. And he was standing there, and he finally said, why do we need to go to a marriage retreat? Do you think our marriage is not good? She said, no, I think our marriage is fine. He couldn't, that didn't connect in his head. Don't you go to marriage retreats because your marriage is crashing and burning? Not necessarily. In fact, if you go to marriage retreats when it's not, it may not ever crash and burn. That's being proactive. That's being intentional. Hey, that we, want a, we want a better marriage. What are some things we can do? Get a Bible study for your marriage. Get a Bible study for your kids about specific subjects. We, we were having this discussion the other night, me and some guys, talking about when you have to have the discussion for uh, the birds and the bees, for the kids, right? And, and I realized, I'm the oldest one sitting here. That's water under the bridge for me. Because <laughs> that is like the most frightening thing I've ever done in my life. You know, you're sitting in front of your kid going, okay, so here's what I need to tell you. As your dad, I feel like I need to say this to you. And you, as my child, you need to hear this about life and the things of life that I'm going to tell you today. Right now. And 30 minutes later, they're going, and you're still going, because you need to know this. right? Here. And you, you, can, you can spend 40 minutes saying nothing because it is the scariest thing you'll ever do. <laughs> you know, I think part of it is, is you know somewhere along the line your children are going to say, so do you and mom do that? <laughs> no. No, we don't. No. But your grandparents do. So, <laughs> but it's just, it's just one of those things where, you know, you, 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 you don't, that's not something you rush into. Hey, kids, I know you're only six, but come here. I got some fun stuff. You know, you wait and you wait and you wait. I think we do this the same thing with our, with our Christian walk. We wait and wait and wait for things, of, of our issues of our spiritual life and our marriage and our family and all these other things. Instead of saying, wait a second, I want to be proactive about this. What are some things that I can think ahead about? Lynn and I took a, um, a pre-married uh, conference or something like a class. Uh, we were dating, we were at Southwestern, and we took a class about that. And, and I, I was like, I don't even remember why. I don't remember why or how we came to the conclusion. But I just remember in my mind, when I think back, the, the best memory I can have is sitting in the class. I don't remember the conversations coming up to it or whatever. But I know me well enough to know, I, in my head, I was thinking, okay, if that's what you want, then I'll do it. You know, I, I doubt I was sitting there going, you know what I really need? A pre-married class. That's what, I can guarantee you that's not what I was thinking. I was like, will you kiss me afterwards? Okay, then I'll take it. So, so but I remember sitting in the class and this guy's going, now the, the professor was boring. Oh, he was the most boring. He was a professor we had in some other classes. Oh, he was boring. But I remember there would be some times when he would say something and I would think to myself, I think I should know that. And then like this little fear would capture me. What if I don't know that? 
little things. They would say, have you talked about children? Have you talked about how you discipline children? Have you talked about finances? Have you talked? And, and he goes all about all this stuff, and it, it became frightening to me. I really only had one plan after we got married. I had no other plans. So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was looking at Christine. How you doing? So, <laughs> so uh, being very intentional, being proactive about this stuff, thinking about it ahead of time. All right, so let's keep going down. Baruch, uh, Let's go to verse twenty-five. I think we missed a couple, but that's that's okay. Um, Palal, son of Uzziah, carried on the work from a point opposite the angle, and the tower that projects up from the king's upper house beside the court of the guard. Next to him were Padiah, son of Parosh, with the temple servants living on the hill of Ofo, who repaired the wall as far as a point across from the water gate to the east of the projecting tower. Then came the people of Tekoa, who repaired another section across from the great projecting tower and over to the wall of Ofo. Above the horse gate, the priest repaired the wall. Each one repaired the section immediately across from his own house. Next, Zadok, son of Emir, also rebuilt the wall across from his own house. And beyond him was Shemiah, son of that place, the gatekeeper of the east gate. Then these guys, the sixth son of this other fella, uh, rebuilt the wall across where he lived. Malkajah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the wall as far as the housing for the temple servants merchants across from the inspection gate. Then he continued as far as the upper room at the corner. The other goldsmiths and merchants repaired the wall from the corner to the sheep gate. Now here's a, here's a deep theological question for us. Why is this mentioned? Why is this chapter in Nehemiah? Does it matter if we know the names of the guys that fixed that section of wall, why? Uh, Jerry, you're not in your head, yes? Why? <laughs> Good answer. That's, wow. That was, Mike, is that Mike right there? Okay, that's, that's a major reason. First, it was important. The second reason, uh, everybody's involved. From, from obvious wealthy people. Goldsmiths were going to be wealthy people. Um, even the daughters. That's, that's huge. This guy, this guy uh, is going to be responsible for building his part of the wall across from where he lives, but all he's got is daughters. He's like, We'll do this. We got this. I've been a failure in everything else I've tried. Let's do this. No, I just... Uh, <laughs> right. It took forever and there was lots of talking. Mike, what else? Okay. Yes. Some of these people were also city leaders. Some of these people did not build walls for most. None of these people built walls for livings, right? They were merchants, goldsmiths, priests. The priests got right in there with them. They didn't stay in the in the 
the uh, temple, saying, hey, when you guys finish, we'll all pray together. They got worked. They did stuff. Kids, mothers, fathers, daughters, sons, everybody worked on this. Old, young. One of them says a grandson of somebody else. Another one talks about being the elder. So all kinds of different people, plus all kinds of villages that were all around Jerusalem. Not all these people lived in Jerusalem. Some of them, it would say, they worked on their section of the wall. That means they lived in that section. Okay? But others, it would say, they, this guy from this village. So there were people that lived outside the walls that were working on the walls, people that lived inside the walls that were working on the walls. Rich, poor, everything in between. Tom? I would assume so. I can't imagine. Okay, so let's say I've got some servants. I'm not building it without them. That doesn't make sense. So they're all out there together, and they're working on this wall. So what's another reason why this might have been mentioned? It was part of their existence. Not just something that they were proud of, but it was them. For the Jewish people, this city and those walls we're part of them. I, 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 know I, I know I've tried to, to talk about this and explain it, but I'm explaining it from a mental knowledge. I don't understand this on a core level, the way that the, um, that the covenant, that God's covenant with his people is about the people and the land and God all together. That those are intertwined together. <clears throat> and the city itself is their, is their heartbeat. As Americans, we, can't, we, we don't have a, a process of thinking it says no matter where on the, on the face of the earth that we are, um, our heart belongs to this one city. That, that's to the point where we, we will work our entire life to try to get back to that city. And the Jewish people, that's their existence. And um, uh, Israel will pay Israelites to come back to Israel. Different times, different amounts of money. So, but they will pay people to come back to Israel. Because it's different. It's just different. And so this is also another reason. It's intertwined. We see this as part of it. What would be a possible another reason, Tom? And they, all, they got all over it. So I do think that's another reason why this is mentioned and, and um, an emphasis put on they did this, they did this. So what's another potential reason of why it names the particular areas of the wall, the gates, the different things, and the people's names with it? Dan? Right. Or the king's gate or the, you know. Yeah, I think that's legitimate too, that the whole wall... Now, now we're going to take all of this and put it into the spiritual context, but let's, let's look at that one just a second to kind of set us up for this. And, and I was trying to talk about that a little bit last week, about the way that the, the last two weeks, the way that the Holy Spirit really works on all the areas of our life, the junk areas and the areas that seem to be you know, the, 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 
the, uh, the well gate the, where the pool of Siloam is and all that kind of stuff. The refreshing go down to the river kind of area. And I think this is important that they were all, every bit of this had, a, had, a, had just as much validity as, validity as any other part of this. And that the important people were working on the area of the dung gate just like unimportant people were working on the area by the king's pool. Because why? There was no priority here. And, and for us on a spiritual level, when the Holy Spirit starts working on us, if we really let him work on us, there's not a priority system for the Holy Spirit. He wants to just get in and work in our life and do stuff and, and change us and, and grow us and mature us and convict us and and develop us and all this stuff. And he just wants to work through the stuff of our life. Just really work on all the stuff. Our responsibility is to try to let him work on everything. Not just the areas that we find easier or might would appear to be more important. Right? Okay, so what would be another reason why all of this is mentioned in the names and all the different things? Yes, and 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 add to add to that a little bit about like also the the um, the importance of the the Jewish existence of this is the fact that they really did want to get this done and they were willing to sacrifice to get this done. Uh, the, these people sacrificed a lot to do this, and it took a long time, and it was hard work, but they stayed at it and did this. Now, from a person that, that reads and studies the Bible regularly, it's what I do. It's my part of my job. Um, I like it because there's a lot of historical stuff here. There's actual people's names that, that you, can, you can trace out this wall and you can write their names in all the way around of where they worked on the wall, what section, how far it was. On. This, this, this wall was a, a little over two miles in circumference. That's a lot considering how thick the wall is and how high the wall is. This is, this is not an easy job. And then the fact that they make all the doors, they hand make them, the bolts and all the stuff and put it in there. This is a big deal and that they did this and they worked at it and they stayed consistent with it regardless of what is now. Now let me also throw this in. This is not the point of this, although I might use this scripture in the future for this. But um, for us at Church of Briargate to build a new building to do some of these things, it's going to take all of us. It's going to take every single one of us to say, I believe in this. This can happen, and we can do this. I, I've talked about this before, too, that it, uh, the way that God works with human beings, most of the time, it's more beneficial for every one of us individually and as a corporate body when we all contribute and make this happen and really sacrifice to make this happen than if some millionaire walks up and writes a $2 million check. Um, the idea of some rich person walking up and writing a $2 million check can, if we're not careful, we take it for granted. And you know this from your life, and you also know this if you have children, you know this to be true too. Anything that you've had to work for or that your children have to work for, they respect more. And anything that they don't, 
they don't respect. It just doesn't mean the same to them. And when they got to work and work and work, Jonathan, our oldest, bought his first car. Um, he had saved up money, and he and I had a plan. We were, we were going to pay for half, he was going to pay for half, and he needed to save up this amount, and he had been saving up doing all this stuff. And then these people in the church came to us, and we had actually given them a car, but they came to us and said, hey, we want to give Jonathan our car. And um, we, we're going to charge him $200 for the car. And it was a hoopty, but 200 bucks. I mean, it, if it runs, it's worth $200, and it ran. And, it, and then they told us, and then we're going to give the $200 back to you and Linda, and then you guys can do whatever you want with Jonathan and the money. I'm like, I'm going to go buy me something is what I'm going to do. So we did, and we gave him gas money and some stuff. But either way, so, so, um, so he, he comes driving up. I mean, he was so proud of this car. Comes driving up, and he gets out, and you can tell. He's just like. But it had a, and the guy that sold it to him, it had a muffly sound in the stereo. He said the speakers or something are unplugged in the back. We don't know what the deal is. He said, but I haven't even gone back there and looked. I don't know. He, he had just been driving it for a few months. Well, Jonathan and I got to look at it, and there was actually a false wall in there. We popped it out, and there's like an $800 speaker system with an 800-watt amp and all this other stuff. So he takes that. When, when he gets his next car, he takes all that and transfers it over. This is like a $1,200 sound system that was in this car. <laughs> but it, it was kind of half plugged in, so it just was going when he would turn it on. And he still has that today. It's, a, it's one of those that boom, boom. You know, it's like the car rocks, you know, that kind of thing. And... Um, so, either way, so the next day, he has this car one day. The next day, he, he drives it up to the church, and while it's up at the church, this horrible hailstorm comes through. And in fact, it, it totaled Lynn and I's van. Um, it actually went through, the hail went through the windshield, busted the mirrors off, all this other stuff, and totaled our entire van, which was fairly new too. But he comes driving home, I'm sitting at home, and he comes driving into the driveway at home, and... This car had a nice red paint job, very smooth. But the hail revealed to us that probably 80% of the car was bondoed. And the paint was painted over the bondo. You know, that like plaster, you know, to make it look like it's not been wrecked 14 times. So when it started hailing, all these big chunks of paint and bondo were just falling off of this car. And he comes driving up in the driveway, and I'm watching him drive around. And he stops. He gets out and just starts... Balling, Dad, look at my car. And it looked like somebody had destroyed this car. But here's the thing with that is he worked hard for that car. It meant something because it was his. It's not just that the car got revealed as being junk. Uh, it's the fact that it was his junk, and he paid for it. Guys, there's something about the reason that he names the names, the actual names of the people, and puts someone and says, this section of one, this Not only can we map this out, but we can map it out with their names in there and know this is exactly how this wall got built in this section by this group of people. This is where they put their hands on the wall. And we can see that. And so for us, 2,500, 3,000 years later, this is huge. This is huge, that we have the example that's given to us. I think about this, going back to a building mentality. We're going to get to the spiritual side of this, but going back to a building mentality. Um, in 91, Lynn and I went to be the youth pastors of a church in West Texas. And um, 
couple hundred people in the church, maybe maybe probably more than that. But um, one day we were sitting around talking to some of the older people, and and uh, they talked. They began to talk about when they built that church, and it, it got it it got me to the point where I was in tears over listening to this story. That um, there was a bunch of they would always have these meals on wheels and stuff like that, and I I use that as an opportunity to eat um, before we took them out to people. And the, the, these, these older ladies in the church loved to cook for me because I love to eat it. And, uh, and so we would be sitting around. There's probably 20 or 30, mostly women, a couple men. And we we're sitting around talking, and they said, you know, this was 30 years, 40 years before. They said, we built this church. It was a nice facility, a um, good-sized facility. And, and uh, they said, we built this. They would make um, fried pies, like turnover pies, you know, fried pies. They would make fried pies by the hundreds every single week, and then they would all take them all over everywhere to the workplaces, the schools, door to door, and they would sell these fried pies. And they did that for about five years, selling these fried pies so they could have the money in the bank to build that church. And this was 27 years ago. And even at that time, I thought to myself, people don't do that anymore. They won't. They just won't do that nowadays. That's a total different level of sacrifice than what the church has today. That kind of commitment, that kind of sacrifice. And now, 27 years later, I think it's even more it's not even really a, think about every week, every weekend, they would all get together on Saturday mornings and, get there and make hundreds of these fried pies. And they did that every weekend with a few exceptions throughout the year for five years. I'm not trying to pick on us here, but I'm, I'm thinking about the last two or three weeks of some of our um, pastor staff meetings where we're, we just... Like need one person to work in the booth back there. We're begging. Can can you please just you know we're sitting going through names of people in the church and well can we get them to work once every two months in the booth? Can we get somebody to just be in the nursery so that a mama that has had these two little babies all week long can actually just go sit in church and if nothing else just sleep, just have a good relaxing moment. And guys, it is so difficult just to get a few minutes sometimes for somebody to volunteer for something or to, to and, and, and I don't think people are like adverse to like writing a check, but, but even that I think sometimes it's like it, whatever's left over. And considering that statistically um, the average American lives about 6% over what they make, there's not left over. So at what point do we see that kind of drive? This kind of story in Nehemiah, do we see that? Is that, do we, do we see that description in American Christianity? Think, think about that. I, I was in Africa one time, and I was, I was preaching in this church, and they were trying to build a new building. They had, the people in the village started getting saved, and they had had, you know, four or five people that started this, and now there was like 75, 80 people in this village that were part of a church. And so they wanted their own building. This, was, this made them big time. They wanted their own building. They were all making everything from hand. 
all the bricks, everything. They would go out into the woods and cut the trees and trim the logs, and that would be the beams. Everybody in the church, and when I got there, when the, the morning I got there, the, the little kids were over there cutting bricks out of this, this area of mud and clay where they had taken all this straw and put it together, and they were cutting. Little kids were over there carrying these bricks and doing this kind of stuff. And, and it just caught me. We don't understand that kind of thinking and commitment, and it just doesn't even register in our world. It's, it's such a foreign concept, you know, that we would really be that devoted to this. I really believe that's one of the major reasons that this is included, is to, to so that not, not us now, but any time in history, at any place on the planet, you could look back at this story and say, maybe we could do that for whatever it is. Maybe we could do that. That we could do. Now, the idea of us as individuals actually building the building, um, there's, a, there's a few people in our church that have expertise that, that we would like to utilize when we get to that place in the building. But for the most part, you and I are not going to be building a building. This is going to be a very large steel structure. So, so that part doesn't translate exactly. But what part could we say when, when 20 years from now we write this down and say, and I worked on this area, and this is the amount of money that I raised, and this is, this is the contribution that I made, and this is how I sacrificed to get this done. I worked hard just so that that could happen. Not I worked hard, and then I took a little bit of my extra leftover excess, and I did that, but I worked hard for that to happen. That's a, that's a different mindset than what we think about in today's society. So... Not to belabor that, let's go to the next part of this. So let's take the next piece of this and say, all right, um, what is the importance on a spiritual... If, if Nehemiah is the Holy Spirit and the walls is our existence and our life, what is the importance of all of the different people and all the different sections of the walls being mentioned here on a spiritual level? Not building a wall, but letting the Holy Spirit rebuild parts of our life that's broken down. <clears throat> Anybody? Anybody? Anna? Yeah, that's, that's solid. So, so remember, the reason they're rebuilding the wall is because the temple had already been rebuilt. They're already worshiping God, but the marauders and the people for wherever are getting in, they can't, they're, they're being harassed. So we're rebuilding the wall so that, they, so that we can have a, a good, healthy, in, uh, inside worship existence with the Lord. So we work on the things that are us, the external things that are us, so that our spiritual walk can be um, 
uh, unattacked, unmolested. And, and so then the wall becomes built and whole. But if, but if it's not secured, if the gates are just wide open, then it doesn't matter how much we rebuild the wall. There has to be, there has to be security somewhere there. And that's part of what the Holy Spirit does. That's a very important thing. And then also what Anna said was about the fact that, they, um, that each, each one of their gifts and abilities that can minister to the body of Christ. You have to remember that we are important to God. I was thinking about this out of Romans. Um, not, not Romans. Let me see if I have this. Down there somewhere. It's in the New Testament. No. I can't remember right now where it is, but uh, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the sheep, the 99, um, what do those stories uh, have in common right there? Um, there was a third one, do I have this? Prodigal son is also included in that little part of scripture. So what, are, what, is, the, what is the significance of those stories? Although he was still lost, it was his choice. And every the, the, the common denominator in all those stories is we are extremely important to God. We are his most valuable possession. We are everything to him. And we have to remember that when it comes to the body of Christ and how we all have to work together. This person and their, and their family worked on this part, this person. Now, here's the question that I would ask here is, of all of these different people, <clears throat> um, do you think they all got together, got along together? Why would you say no? You don't know. Because they're people. There's the correct answer. How do I know that? Because I am one. Right? So there's no possible way that all these different groups of people and all these different villages and people living in the city and people living out of the city, you know there was, you already know that, that there was cultural things going on there. You, oh, you live outside the city. Oh, you live by the dung gate. You know, you know there was the social things, there was cultural things, all this stuff. But it's interesting to note that they all worked together in this process. Because why? Guys, this is where... This is an, I'm going to tell you one of the most important things that I think for the church needs to be understood and, and processed regularly. In fact, I'll tell you, this is a philosophy of ministry of mine, I'm a defining philosophy of ministry. When we have a unifying purpose, we won't fight with each other. It's reality. You can take that to a church, you can take that to a business, you can take that to a military group, you can take that to... When you have a, a, a very important, vital, unifying purpose, even the United States of America on 9-11 got along. In both sides of the aisle, in the Congress and the Senate, from the White House to every... The, for the next two or three days, that's only the length of time it took to change this. But we all got along. Why? Because there was solidarity there. And we had an overwhelming unifying purpose. 
There is only one of those in the church that will sustain for generations to come. And that is people getting saved. That is our unifying purpose. And it is of extreme importance. Anything else churches work on and put their time and attention to, they can be exciting and and generating purpose for a short period of time, but it will eventually go away and it will not last uh, generation to generation. That includes uh, just social agendas by themselves without the gospel saving a soul. Those things uh, wax thin after a while. But you will be witnesses unto Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That will sustain the body of Christ for eternity. Well, up until the beginning of eternity. It will sustain the body of Christ in any setting, any country, in any situation. That is the only true unifying purpose. And, I, and that, is, that is my passion as a pastor is to try to get people saved. Now, let me tell you very honestly... Um, the, the, the two churches I pastored before I came here, this is what I did when I got there. Both of them, the first church I went to was about 20 people. We grew to about 250. Second church was, a, was about 20, 25 people when I got there. We grew to uh, well over 300. Here was the deal with that. <clears throat> this sounds rude to say it this way, but it's not. The reason that they were that size, they had been larger before, is because they had problems. They had issues and they had infighting. There was, there was uh, moral failures in both of those churches. There was a bunch of stuff involved. So the first thing I did when I got there is let's just start witnessing to people and get them saved. Here's a few basic things that happen. One is people that get saved, I'm, I'm their pastor, their first pastor they've ever had, which means I am the best pastor they've ever had. Right? I do everything exactly the way it should be done because it's the only way we've ever seen it done. And so the, the next part of that is there is an excitement that says, hey, wait a second, we may have forgotten this, but this is what we exist for. Plus, the singular most powerful thing you can do in your personal spiritual walk, in your personal maturation, your personal development, is witness to somebody else. Your personal emotional state, the best thing you can do is witness to somebody else. That will grow you faster than anything else. So all of a sudden, people start getting excited and maturing and looking and seeing a purpose and all these other things. And it's the way that a church can really take off and, get and, and really accomplish things. But, now this isn't my personality to begin with, but if I would go into a church like that and say, okay, let's look at redecorating the building. People might get excited about that for a hot minute, but not too much longer. They just won't. Specifically, if that's what the last guy did. Oh, we've redecorated this thing before. There's only so much paint and carpet can do to get you excited about showing up in a building. That doesn't even make sense. That's not a unifying purpose. That's not vital. For these people, this was the center of their existence. Jerusalem is the center of their life and their their connection with God and their existence as a people and their bloodline and their spirituality and everything. And when Nehemiah says, we're going to rebuild this thing and we're going to be the people God that God has created us to be, they say, I can get behind that. Now, spiritually, guys, when we really say, Lord, I want you to change me. I want you to grow me. I want you to develop me. I want you to mature me. It starts slow, and it starts difficult. It starts painful, and there'll be some times along the way. 
But once you start seeing God doing something in your life, it's amazing how you'll reach out for that. It's amazing how you'll reach out for that. You'll reach out for health, spiritual, emotional, mental health. It's amazing how you'll do that. Okay? We're going to unpack some of the rest of it as we go um, later on. Let's pray because it is 830. Let's pray for you. Let's pray for me. Let's pray for Church of Briargate. Let's pray for our spiritual health. Let's pray for the walls. Let's pray for the things that we need the Holy Spirit to do. Okay? Let's pray. God, we thank you for you. We thank you for loving us, for taking care of us, for God truly having a plan for us, for uh, wanting to work out the things in our life, for wanting to develop us, and uh, showing us the things that you have for us. God, we ask you to help us with this. Help us with, uh, with all the details. Help us with the emotional things, the mental things. And then, God, help us realize that we all have gifts that we can work together on, regardless of whether we, we, we think that that person should be our best friend or not. Lord, God, help us to realize that we're all fashioned together into this thing. We're all part of the body, that your blood flows through all of us in inequality. And that, God, that we can... That we can help each other, even if our personalities don't click and connect all the time. God, help us not to be offended and judgmental and, and, and petty and uh, critical. And God, help us to be caring for each other, loving each other, using our gifts to help the next person, using our gifts to help this section of the wall and this area of our life and this spiritual thing. And God, help us to help each other and to truly see that that is our priority. The same with the gifts of the Holy Spirit so that we can help each other know you and, to, and to, to win other people to you. God, help us to see this, to get it, and to know it's, that this is what will make us a healthy body is when we let your blood flow through us and grace flow through us to other people, that we let your blood flow and salvation flow and your gospel flow and your truth flow and rivers of living water flow through us and to other people. All, all other people not just some of the ones we like hanging out with, but all other people. God, I ask you to help us to see that personally and then, and then just to let you work on the areas where if that's not, if that's not who we are, God, get us, get us there. We pray this in your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Go home. <laughs>